0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Jill Akers Clayton. Jill is the senior learning director at Fielding International and is also a project consultant with Teach Thought. Since 2004, her work has focused on educational programming design. In 2013, she founded a Spanish immersion dual language project-based learning grade school. And in 2017, she authored an early childhood project-based learning book based on the experiences from that school. Her drive to ensure all learners thrive leads her to her current position at Fielding International. So, hi, Jill. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You've had the rare position of founding a school and working with curriculum and also working with the environments within school. And you work with designing spaces and designing experiences. So I'd love to hear your take on how those things intermingle and connecting environment with experience.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I was given, it was an amazing experience um, to get to design a project based learning school focused on Spanish immersion and dual language. And so, really thinking about how that experiential and student agency piece that we garner from project based learning really supports language acquisition. And so, it was really important for me that my daughters spoke two languages. And so, I was able to spend a year studying schools and um, schools in Canada, schools in Russia and China and language acquisition schools. And so being a consultant for PBL Works and um, starting in a PBL school, that was to me the only way that you could really build the cognitive skill sets that really transferred that learning to long-term memory. And then when I was able to um, join Fielding International, As one of their senior learning designers, really bringing together how the built environment and how that project-based learning experience impact each other, knowing that your built environment really helps shape who you are cognitively and that learning experience. And so really thinking about how we create spaces that foster that agency, that foster all of the learning modalities that are housed inside project-based learning. And so because project-based learning is still, it's not um, that discovery education experience like, oh, go, you know, find something that interests you today and see where it takes you. There's something to be said for that. And that's really how we build passions. But PBL is also intentional and explicit around content. And so how do we design spaces that really foster the kinds of experiences like small group learning, um, whole group sessions, and when you need to have multiple spaces to support multiple activities that are happening during PBL. Because the initial launch of a project, you can use an entire classroom space, but when kids go into information gathering. They can do research in a commons area, in a small group. They can do research outside. But when they start prototyping, you also want to have a space that allows them to spread out, has materials if they're doing 3D prototyping. You also want small group rooms if students are doing draft written prototyping spaces. And so as students move through that experience, the connection or the interleaving of those spaces through the different stages of thinking that students experience during a project is a really important piece for learners to build agency, to bring in experts, and now in the coming year, whether that's virtual or in person, but having spaces that also invite Industry partners in, industry experts in, so that when students are designing products that go outside of the school, they've worked with people who are supporting the improvement of that process in their own space. And so I think when we talk about designing physical spaces in the built environment, they need to match the kind of learning experiences that we know support students in their ability to demonstrate what they know and what they can do around authentic learning experiences. So, yeah, I think that answers your question. I'm not sure. I got a little (laughs) excited there, so I was like, wait.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think so. Kind of what I'm hearing is that you need a multitude of different types of spaces for kids to be involved in different types of learning throughout the process. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah, having one shared space for the beginning of a project, but making sure there's a larger space for more research and prototyping or a quieter space for developing ideas and giving students the agency to be able to move throughout those spaces. Mm-hmm. as their project moves, because not every project and certainly not every student moves linearly through that process. Exactly. You learn something new and then go back and readjust what you were looking at and then move back and research that again. And so mm-hmm. there might be consistent movement throughout that. Absolutely. And so then how do we as learning centers and as schools create those flexible spaces mm-hmm. to enhance student learning?
1: And you know it's interesting is, is most teachers that I, you know, and I've been in classrooms all over the world and they're designed in this cells and bells kind of model and so teachers are given 750 square feet and they're trying to create those spaces within these small boxes and split apart that kind of work and so at mm-hmm. Fielding International what we do is design learning communities around a suite of appropriate spaces that all teachers would need and so that way the students have the opportunity and the flexibility to utilize all of those spaces which really supports that agency and being able to move around and appropriate spaces on their own that they know that they would need to be successful as a child i might need quiet that day and so how can i use a small group room that's really set up and designed for that smaller group or that individual work. And what's nice about the work that we do at Fielding is that um, our rooms are glass. And so the transparency for the teacher to be able to not control the learning experience, but just have a command over what's happening. I see them over there. I see those guys there and I have an understanding. It's almost like they're a project analyst but the students are managing their own projects. They're the project managers and the teachers there for support and knows when to come in for mini lessons and how to also utilize those spaces. So we spend a lot of time working with teachers to reimagine their own teaching practices to utilize these spaces to foster that kind of agency.
0: That's interesting because it's something that I've talked with several other people about is how do we how do we work with teachers to change that mindset and that thought of having one room and one space and kind of the sage on the stage type of model versus into a learning facilitator or a learning coach or a learning engineer or you know, one of these other words where they are, like you said, kind of having their thumb on what's happening and they can see everyone and how they're working but then able to step in and provide resources and provide direction and provide some coaching when, you know, when necessary. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a real shift in thinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So how have you seen that work in the classroom? Are you seeing it come from school district and principal levels and then a full change in a classroom? Um, Or have you worked with teachers who are really kind of self-motivated and looking for a new way to do things and are
1: shifting this model on their own? Well, I think you've hit the whole gamut. You know, we get all (laughs) of that. We get Um, teachers who are individually and organically motivated because that's their um, value system around learning. And so they really want to dig deeper into that. And then you find teachers who, you know, for them, the stage on the stage has been their pipeline experience k-12 through 12, their college experience their classroom experience so for those teachers you know really taking that mindset is a big paradigm shift for them and then we also do that at the level with um, school leadership and so we have a project right now in cranston rhode island with cranston public schools where we've created a pathfinder space And so we've given them a learning community with a suite of spaces, and it's third through fifth grade. And so we've reimagined their whole master schedule, their timetable is totally different. And so just that alone, going from these sort of siloed experiences as an elementary school teacher is, you know, I'll never forget the very first day. And one of the teachers, Danielle, who's become a good friend, was in tears. Like, this is not possible. There's no way. I can do all of this at once. And so, um, and now that you talk to her, she would say to you the impact that um, having a supportive school district, a supportive building leader, and these spaces with project-based learning training has completely shifted the experience for our students. They've had an increase in attendance. They've had a decrease in students who were being referred to the office for discipline support. That's almost gone down to nil in their third through fifth grade learning community. And their impact on their special ed department has been phenomenal because they went from a pullout scenario to the inclusion teachers being part of all the project planning with the grade level teachers. We take that training and we really integrate that if you're going to have a suite of spaces that really fosters student-centered learning, we really want to support you to make sure that your teachers feel comfortable in a sustained way over time to use these spaces. And so we're doing this in public schools, private schools, charter schools. And so we've been afforded the opportunity through our space to really provide that long-term teacher training, and that's made a big difference. So we do um, master schedules, project-based learning, designing authentic learning experiences, how to partner with um, your community and your industry experts so that they don't come in and just think that they're doing career fair, but they're truly giving students growth-producing feedback, and that's been a tremendous shift that's impacted our students' ability on all levels. And so I think when we look at that, it takes districts, schools, teachers, everybody working together and knowing that it takes time to be able to do that. And so when we, we do spaces, we're, we're afforded that time and opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, Um, it's pretty cool. Like (laughs) these days, I'm like, is this my job? Like, I get paid to do what I love, and that's been really special. Yeah,
0: and you you hit upon some themes that I've heard pretty consistently when I talk to other people. You know, who are doing consulting and who are leaders in project based learning, specifically in that bringing purpose and relevance into students' lives. Whether it's connection with the community or connection with industry and business and other leaders. Um, really increases attendance, increases engagement, decreases discipline. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've heard it pretty consistently. So it's really neat to hear you say the same things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And being able to collect data on that and visualize it for parents that we're, we're truly making an impact and let's look at all the different areas that that's happening in. So, yeah. 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 And we've,
0: we've talked a lot about this already, but you posed a question on your LinkedIn page recently, and I'd love to hear more of your thoughts. And I'm just going to read the question. Sure. The built environment plays a vital role in shaping our cognitive, social, and mental constructs. How do we shift those constructs into virtual environments and still ensure learners are making meaning, interacting, and moving from consumers of information to producers? So I think that's a huge thing that school districts and parents are questioning right now is all of this is amazing. And we've built these wonderful spaces and, you know, our kids are in school enjoying them. How do we make that shift to virtual?
1: Right. Well, and I love, we were talking earlier and I loved what you said about UP Academy, looking at their distance learning program and starting with the culture of what distance learning means. And when we talk about that question What I've seen, and even with my own students in elementary school and middle school, is that the built environment, which is very dictated in what that space is, you're learning in this space, is that teachers are trying to take that built environment and do everything that they would do in this digital space. And so we have to really think about what is the built environment in the classroom and what is the built environment in our students' home spaces or whatever spaces that they're in where they're learning. Because in our um, out of school spaces, we have a lot more agency. We can set schedules and break them. Thinking about how we do this in a virtual environment, when I'm in a classroom as a teacher, my walls are teaching, my materials, my desks The entire environment is intentionally designed to help students make meaning. And so when I look at even my own children, and those pieces weren't necessarily set up for them, what resources do we have in the environment which we've set up for learning? What manipulatives are students bringing their own water and snacks to their learning space? So we've not brought that um, intentionality. From our built space, in our classroom, in our schools, into the virtual spaces and into our students' home spaces. So as a parent, it's been really important to involve my students, because they aren't getting that from their virtual experience, that what does it mean to set your own space up for success? And then what are the norms that you need to establish when you're collaborating online? And the micro interactions that students need to stay engaged. Because in the classroom, in the built environment, students are interacting all day long. There are multiple micro interactions happening small group collaboration, seminar spaces, didactic whole group instruction. And then I'm watching them sit for 60 minutes in front of a screen where teachers are talking the entire time. And then, you know, my middle schooler would have 25 screen sheets to fill out by the end of the week. And so there wasn't this norm set around the interactions that students engage in through the multiple learning modalities that they need to really make meaning of what's happening through the content that they're learning. And so I think that to be able to make that shift to me, PBL is a priority and that there is, through project-based learning design, there's a balance between, you know, true, authentic product development and the process that kids go through. And so knowing that that process is how they think, um, not what teachers would do. So it's more of, I've been given this challenge, I'm going to gather information, I'm going to understand perspectives and points of view and put my product into action. And that that should be a norm for teachers in the digital and virtual world is that there's authentic products that students are developing, but it has to be balanced through these micro interactions along the way to really keep kids engaged. And that's all to me set up on the foundation of how students set up their own built environment, so that when they're engaging in this virtual experience they're set up for success and I think for many children, many teachers that I've worked with throughout this since March is those are the top three things that we're focusing on before we select all the really cool technology tools and apps and this and that and this and that, if we don't have those three foundational pieces, it's really hard for us to transfer the built environment experience that supports kids' cognitive and social development into that virtual experience. So I think those are the three priorities that we as parents and educators and um, anyone who supports a child in the learning process virtually really needs to focus on.
0: And those three priorities that you're seeing are creating the environment within the home. Yep. um, Building a space for the interactions and micro interactions for the students, even in a virtual environment. Absolutely. Um, And what did you see as the third piece of that?
1: Really that agentic production, you know, having agency to produce the kinds of products and giving them that choice. So it's not... Here's 26 screen sheets or which are just right. basically worksheets, you know, just go fill in, you know, multiple choice, but really getting kids involved and in allowing them to produce, whether it's through a portfolio, a process journal, but we know that that metacognitive experience that they need helps them transfer their experience from just like content but to really thinking about and understanding their thoughts as it relates to the content, to me, that's what puts the child back at the center of learning in a virtual experience.
0: Yeah. And I think we're in a really unique point in time to really be able to capitalize on students' home environments and the fact that they're not continually most of them are not continually watched by a parent because parents are working and and focusing on other things and they're not continually watched by a teacher um, because the teacher is not there and so as our distance learning program we do a lot of our project-based learning educator-led and so the teacher's there and she's on the screen and she's kind of parsing through the next pieces of the project and providing direction and answering questions But still the student is in their own space and it's a really unique experience for a lot of students to be able to have that agency and do what they want to do and follow their own thought process and interest line where I know, especially here in Silicon Valley, a lot of students just don't have the time to do that on a normal basis. They're very directed, very place to place, spot to spot, here to there. Everything's directed by an adult who's trying to teach them a thing you know whether yeah. it's in school or whether it's in soccer practice or whether it's language class or you know it's all right. very structured and now suddenly we have this opportunity to give students a project or a concept or a thing to work on and they have this time and space to do it which i think is really magical
1: but to be able i think what's challenging is we design PBL from the teacher perspective it's about driving questions uh, formative assessments you know um Reflection and, but that's not the kind of language that a problem solver uses. And so, the work that we've been doing um, really deeply, for example, in Rye, New York, and Cranston, um, Hilton Head, South Carolina, in Kazan, Russia, in uh, Barcelona, Spain, is that we're taking those PBL environments and student-centered environments, and we're saying. The design should be led through the student experience. So we want our students to be able to say, you know, here was my challenge and this was my purpose. So I went out and I gathered information. I built this prototype and I got feedback from experts who helped me move forward. And then I really took that prototype and I thought about the perspectives and points of view of my audience. And then I garnered more feedback. And then I put my product into action and I thought about the consequences, which is an area that most projects don't get to. And then I delivered my final product. And so in the home environment and really going from, you know, where in the classroom, a teacher helps through that visual experience. Okay, here's where you are right now. Where are you going next? And helping that, how do we allow students to visualize in their own digital and virtual space. So teachers can see it, but in their own physical environment. So they can sort of map their own progress. And I think that that really is supporting the process that we're seeing when we talk about all three of those being the foundation.
0: Yeah, self-assessment is definitely a big part of it um, through prototyping and through, you know, trying and brainstorming and researching. And how do we how do we move not only from self-assessment to kind of into self-planning and building right. those executive functioning skills for yeah. students? So they, they have their purpose, they have their challenge, they have their goal, and they can also sort of plan out that project with right. some direction. It,
1: the five stages of finding a solution are really about the, the learner's experience. So things like, how often do we in our own real project go, okay, I'm going to self-assess myself? right now. And so how do we start to differentiate between the sort of teacher language that we would use and then the actual problem-solving language that students would use? And I think that there's a big difference. And when students can start to articulate, you know, this is where I am in my own problem-solving experience, we can get metacognitive around like, oh my goodness, you're a self-planner or like, hey, you know what? You really thought about and kind of, you know, tested yourself on that. And To see where you grew and and so how do we keep some of that in student language and not always this teacher speak? That um, is more about planning and instructional design When we ask students to learn in a more self-directed way We have to be thoughtful and cognizant about how problem solvers self-direct versus how teachers plan instruction Mm -hmm yeah absolutely.
0: it's It's a big shift and it's a big difference. And looking at students being at home and you're you're an educator and a parent, mm-hmm. um, What advice do you have for parents right now as they're trying to support their children through this time, or if they're worried about their child falling behind? what What tips and tricks can you share with parents?
1: I think, um, and I can say it from my own um, experience, definitely, you know, my two are on the other side of the door and it's summer break and they've been outside building a fort all morning in the rain and they're wet and they're cold and they're trying to warm up is, you know, how do we set up our space that um, students have what they need but they can ask questions at the same time and seek support. Um, Even having hand signals, you know, we have hand signals for, I'm in the middle of a call, it's being recorded. So they know that they should go out right away. And so I, I think that, again, it goes back to those three things as a parent or a guardian. How do I set up my students or my learners or my children for success in a physical space so that if they need a resource, they know where to find it? And then I think for us, we spent a lot of time this spring that there was a transition in our home from a work and learn environment to a family environment. And so we put away our materials, we cleaned up our space, and then we transitioned from that. And so we know that there's a differentiation between family time and that work and learn time, because as someone, you know, I'm on calls all day long with teachers around the world. So my work environment also has to be set up for success. So really, how do we co-create that? And my children and I spent a lot of time co-creating that environment to be successful, especially when the middle schooler and the elementary schooler decided that they were not able to get along. And so how do we also set up spaces in our house for when our children need individual time, where they can work with their siblings. And so I think that those are some of the things that we did that helped create a really successful environment as we went through the transition from being in the built environment into this distance learning experience.
0: Yeah, that's great advice and in a lot of ways brings us back full circle as you're talking about creating spaces in your home for group learning and small group learning and individual learning and your kids and your students having the place, you know, the places that they need for the point they are is kind of where we started with talking about the school environment as well and developing different areas for learning depending on what parts of the project they were on and what they were feeling like that day. So yeah, it, it I, I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you for sharing all of your thoughts on environment, on relationships, on building learning and on project-based learning. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge and I appreciate you sharing it with us.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive inclusive elementary school, Up Academy at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Me Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.